Um, I was just like, yeah, I feel so uncomfortable yelling into the mic. It's hard to focus on the podcast. Because I'm just like, yeah, I think your book's really good. Um, I like the colors. No, I think you're, I think you're okay, Jess. I just like, volume-wise, it seems to be coming in at the same level. Like, your actual spoken volume is coming in at the same level, and the headphones are just throwing me off, but like, you are getting picked up, so... I think it's fine. Have you ever done any voice training? No. <laughs> you have to speak from the diaphragm. So it's like you try to imagine the sound coming from like way down here. And it's not about shouting, oh, but it's about projecting. I don't even I don't, <laughs> I don't even know how to speak from the diaphragm. Yeah. I don't even know how to do it. Am I doing it? Is it louder? I think I think you're gonna be okay. Am I speaking from the <laughs> diaphragm? No, we're getting the same levels here. I think we're good. I'm sorry, I All like right. I'm psyching you out now before we record. Okay. Can so you hear me breathing? Good. Yeah. No, I can hear you. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Every little lip smack is going to be recorded. Yeah. This is, we'll and... leave, I'm going to leave all this for John. I figured this book that we're talking about today is a good Father's Day special. But That's true, actually. Really. <laughs> like The dark. It does dark fit Father's in, Day. though. I hadn't really thought about that. The, but no, I... Intense family relationship day. Yeah. 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 This is where you know, like, how dedicated I am to, like, comics because I spent Mother's Day in Toronto selling comic books and I spent Father's Day on Main Street selling comic books <laughs> under an awning in the sun. Apologies to our listeners for a bit of a gap, but it's been festival season for many of us. I traveled across all of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I I spent some time in uh, Toronto as well. And I had a, a listener come up to me and say like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be at Emerald. So apologies to uh, our listeners. We record these sometimes weeks and months in advance to the point where I don't even have it on the radar of what I'm doing in the next couple I, months. Yeah, I don't think we talked about who is going to be where at the end of the last episode. Yeah, so that's mea culpa, <laughs> my bad. Next time we'll make sure to get a calendar. Yeah. Well, no promises. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to be back. It's good to be back recording. Yeah, I think back in the saddle. This is going to be the three trade waiters tonight. Today we're going to be discussing uh, a book called Comprima by Alfred. And I wanted to start with a character-building question so that all of us can get to know each other and our listeners can get to know us a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, what is the longest road trip you've ever done? Oh, do you know, I feel like uh, the longest road trip probably was when I was with my family and we drove from Vancouver to Edmonton to see family. Uh, I think that was pretty long. Like, I mean, I just did a road trip to Calgary, but I sort of feel like that extra leg north to get to Edmonton, it just sort of stretches it out a little. I know you're taking a different highway, but I, just going up to Edmonton, it feels a little longer, I think. Yeah. Which one are you again? Oh, sorry. Uh, I am Jeff Ellis, and the longest road trip I've been on was going to Edmonton. <laughs> I'm Jess, and I don't think I've been on a road trip it's pretty pretty weird actually i think 
the longest one would only be like it almost wouldn't count it would be like a day or two not much of a trip but I have been traveling I've been you know flights and things like that but not, but not so much road trips but I would uh, love to change that it's just it's, it's expensive to buy a car here you know yeah but maybe one day I'm totally open to it yeah, look up look up for those opportunities every once in a while. If anyone's like, listening to this, uh, send me an email. <laughs> I was gonna say I feel like this is like a Generation X millennial divide or something. It like everyone be. in Gen X was like, "Oh yeah, we totally did road trips all the time," and millennials are like, "What's a car?" Oh my God. <laughs> wow, how did you afford the gasoline? <laughs> That's actually a really good point, though, because you know people used to you know at this age own houses and cars and things and i don't i don't own i know almost nobody who owns a car in vancouver with the uh-huh. insurance and the gas and also all the gas stations are closing down so it's uh pretty ridiculous yeah and you just you share your car you just like abandon it on the side of the road and it somehow <laughs> miraculously gets refilled with gas like, that's when how you're not moto around. works oh right God. i'm such a i'm such a car sharing snob like when i open up the app i'm like i don't want to go to a gas station so i only pick car to go that have like 70 percent gas or more it, <laughs> it's like i look at it i do it's, not <laughs> it's kind of appalling the number of people that just abandon a car to go with like zero percent fuel <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to Jess's point, where where is the gasoline in the city? Yeah, true. You have to you have to go out of the car to zone go zone to get the, a gas, yeah. probably. The, well, you know, the the one time I filled up a uh, car to go, I think I put like fifteen dollars into it, and like when I sent the receipt to car to go, they're like, you know, like five dollars is enough. Oh, interesting. And I was just like, oh, okay, but like, isn't it better that it was like a half full tank of gas? And they're just like, next time just put $5 in. We don't want to reimburse you that much money. It's like, oh, okay. wild. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, the the magic of car sharing. Uh, my name is Jam. I actually love road trips. So oh. I've been on quite a few. Uh, I've been down to Utah. I've been all around this province. The longest that I've ever done, though, is across Canada and back in a car and in a Hyundai accent with no air conditioning, <laughs> which I do not recommend. <laughs> And the funny quirk of that trip uh, related to the price of gasoline is that when we got to the Atlantic coast, we really wanted to get all the way to Newfoundland. But the cost of taking the car on the ferry to Newfoundland was more than we had spent on gas the entire way there. Oh, okay. So broke recent grads couldn't, couldn't swing that at the time. But anyway, that's my road trip story. And the reason, thank you for all your character building answers uh the reason i brought this up is because we kind of have a story about a road trip but it's really more about brothers so as i mentioned again um the book we're going to be discussing is comprima there's a little bit of violence in it but we are going to be doing a spoiler discussion so spoiler alert we're talking about the whole book and i did a little bit of research on it Mm -hmm. but i actually didn't get very far it's interesting because i The only reason I found out about this book is because it came up on Comixology. Oh. Yeah. So it came up on like the recommended list of like, hey, we noticed that you don't read superheroes for some stupid reason. Maybe you like this French stuff, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, I was like, sweet, BD, I got it. And I read it. But uh, I was, as I was researching a bit more information about this book and this author, there was very little available in English. So I read Mm. a little bit in French uh, to get just kind of the gist of it. Okay. But the thing is that the publisher of this, uh, Delcourt, which is a very large French publisher, like they had an article on there which is actually about their partnership with Comixology. So, yeah, uh, 
readers or listeners might know that it's quite challenging to get translated BD out to America. And the reason is that in France, they haven't found a lot of a market yet. But the Delcourt representative was saying that they noticed that this is growing, that the taste of American uh, readers is changing. And so they decided to start with this digital first strategy. So this mm. is not maybe available yet. I didn't check. Has anyone read, found a print edition of this? We all read it digitally, right? I always default to Comixology if it's available there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have a book problem. So yeah. I have banned myself. I can only buy digital books right now okay. until I get rid of some of my physical books. Yeah. So the point yeah. being, I'm not sure this is actually available in print. Because Delcour decided to uh, do this digital first. This is where we need Jonathan to be here because he would tell us if there was a print version. (laughs) He would have one for his shelf. Definitely. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so the author's name is Alfred. And he seems to be like a really prolific writer. He's been in the industry since 1996. And like I started writing down like a list of his books, like trying to translate them from French. And then I gave up because it was just like... A ton of albums from 1996 to current day. Wow. Uh, his most recent one is called Capitaine Fripouille. I don't know if we're going to get a translation of that or not. But the reason that I think we got this translation of Comprima is because it won the Fave d'Or, which is the highest prize at the Angloem uh, oh, Graphic Novel Festival. Right on. Yeah, Festival de BD, I think they call it. Yeah, so that's basically what I found out. I apologize for not doing more research than that. But this book was really interesting to me, and which is why I recommended it for the trade waiters. It's about two Italian brothers uh, living in the 1960s. And they start out in France, where one brother comes to the other and says, we got to go back to Italy. So they join together in a road trip and come back to Italy. And it's about the fraught relationship between two brothers and learning how to still be a family when you've been estranged and all the complications that ensue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I'd like to ask, what were your overall impressions of the book? I want to come hot out of the gate here and say that I really think this is one of the best comics I've ever read. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I hope people listening go and buy this on Comixology right away because I think we should... I'd love to see more of this uh, Alfred Alfred's yeah, work. Absolutely, um, it's it's absolutely astounding. Like the writing, the themes, the historical connection, um, but also the use of the comics medium was really unique. There were some um, incredible devices, mm-hmm. like d- indicating between the past and the present, mm-hmm. that were so well done. And yeah, I love it. Top right. top ten. Sweet. Oh, right on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, like. I also agree, though. This is a great book. I really enjoyed it. Um, now that I've heard this whole story about Delacour having a relationship with Comixology, yeah, I think everyone should just buy this, if for no other reason than to encourage Comixology and Delacour to like bring more of these books in. If that's what it's going to take to get Ben Dessine, like translated, then that's what we got to do. Yeah. Though... I also now realize I'm endorsing like an Amazon company, but like, yeah. Um, well, uh. Uh, there is no, there is no ethical consumption of yes. capitalism. So Fair we're enough. all doing Fair the enough. best that we can. Fair <laughs> enough. But yeah, no, I, I, but no, if, if we can get more uh, BD this way, then I think we gotta, you gotta go buy this. This is great. Uh, yeah. This is really, really interesting. And yeah, like Jess said, this was really inspirational in that just the approach to comics narrative was like really inspiring. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you agree. When I first read it, and like I said, I read it by fluke, I was really struck with it as well. I thought it was like a, a story that really stuck with me, right? And the way that it, uh, you're absolutely right, Jess, the use of medium was really interesting. And maybe that's one of the first things we can touch on. So in the introductory scene, there's a lot of splicing between past and present and far past. Mm -hmm. So like there's a scene with a boxing match. Mm -hmm. So the main character is named Fabio and he's kind of a ex-champion boxer, maybe disgraced scoundrel. I don't know exactly how to. I thought you were uh, going to say jerk. He, yeah, he's definitely <laughs> ex-jerk and a current jerk. Current jerk. He's a ne'er-do-well. He's been mixed up in crime. Uh, he moved to France to get like a big adventure, but it obviously didn't work out by external perspectives, but maybe not internal perspectives. I mean, he thinks he's like, yeah, I've had the adventure of the lifetime and everyone is jealous of me. But they're like, you can't hold down a job and you owe everyone money. And like, <laughs> well, there's also um, a hidden like thread, right? All right, cool. We'll get to that. Yeah. There's more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah, just the, yeah, there is a lot going on in this book and a lot to unravel, which is part of the fun of reading it. And but one of the things that I wanted to highlight on top of that splicing between like a boxing match and the current day of the well, for initial interaction between Fabio and Giovanni is this memory. Mm -hmm. And the way that memory is portrayed in this book, I think, is really, really fascinating. So for those who haven't read it yet, and again, like I fully endorse going out and read and getting it to support this work, there's like a cream color mm -hmm. and bright primary colors that make like outline and value of like very very stark shadows that illustrate memories from the character's childhood mm -hmm. and it's a it's an element that we keep coming back to throughout the work and it's also used to describe nostalgia you know we get to see more and more detail of these memories as the plot goes on and we learn more about the characters but it really really struck me the first time i read it mm-hmm mm -hmm. What, like, blows my mind about this device in particular is, like, one really classic way of showing the past is to show it in black and white. Mm -hmm. um, so the whole book is in color for some context. But that, to me, in a lot of cases, doesn't reflect the experience of childhood, right? Because childhood, uh, apparently you actually see colors brighter. So when they're having these flashbacks to their past, it's sort of more simple and colorful. And the form um, reflects the message so it was in such harmony because i haven't really seen um the past in a comic shown exactly this way even though using color is very classic this was a really special use of it yeah agreed mm -hmm. like i had never seen it before but it's um, remarkable from a comics medium perspective that both of us had never seen it before but it was so clear what it was yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and then the other element that there's two other ways that this device i felt was really really used to amazing effect there was one uh scene later on in the book where fabio is in an orange grove oh yeah mm -hmm. and it's the first time that he's seen an orange grove since leaving italy and he's just so enamored to see like oh my god oranges are just growing they don't have this in france uh, and he's sitting in the grove just taking it in in these senses and to me that really communicated nostalgia Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting yeah. way to do it. I, I, I totally agree. But I feel like 
one other thing that happened there that I've also never seen in a comic before is that it, it wasn't only nostalgia, it was that he internally began to feel like a child again. Mm. And the style transitioned from the normal comic style of the present into the past. And so it, it's almost like it's playing with um, internal emotion and time and nostalgia. Like, it's just, um, it's incredible how well it reads. Because showing, without narration, showing a character's internal state like that, it can be tricky sometimes. Yeah. It, it, I find, like, often people who don't know how to use the medium to its maximum effect, especially sometimes I see this on writer-artist teams, is that it can get a bit too descriptive. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's a lot of a narrator, right? Or, like, mm-hmm. a thought bubble <laughs> describing the internal state. It's like, ah, oh, it takes me back to my childhood. And this, <laughs> and, like, where uh, this is a really expert use of... Uh, an illustration mm-hmm. to oh, yeah. show something without hardly any words at all. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think it does a really good job of um, doing like you know that kind of the thing comics does really well with like juxtaposition of like showing you something and having a narrative caption box, but not necessarily the caption box being related to the visual you're seeing, but it's like informing another part of the story, right? And like one of the strongest uses is that early scene with like the boxing match. Cause you have the sort of flashback to the boxing match while he's talking to his brother. And like every time his brother says something, it's like, that's when like another punch gets landed. Right. And like when he mentions that their father's dead and pulls out the urn, that's like when the knockout punch gets delivered. And it's, you know, it's this nice kind of visual metaphor to like add to the emotional impact of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it felt cinematic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, while still really playing with like the power of the comics medium I think there was also I think you'd call it a reveal in animation maybe where I think his brother says dad's here mm. but then it sort of pans down to reveal an urn and so we understand what that means mm-hmm. without it being explicitly stated like that blew me away as well yeah and such a like what a great hook. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. this is oh, for, yeah. like, almost no exposition at all. Like, this this catalyst of, like, hi, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Ten's, Dad's dead. We're going on a road trip. <laughs> like, to put all that together in probably less than 20 pages is incredible um, and just sets us on this journey right away, which is uh, exciting. Like, it really, really drew me in really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeff, what stood out to you? Oh, what do you want to talk about next? Where to where to start? Um, I mean, I just I I still like keep thinking about just like the panel compositions, like these like sprawling vistas. Oh my goodness! And, like, <laughs> um, and then just like yeah, the coloring. Like the whole time reading this, I just kept thinking like, where does he think about these colors? Because yeah. I've been on a journey of color myself, <laughs> and I've really been trying to get away from like literal color and trying to use color more as like an assistant to like bring out the emotion of a scene and like that is something like I just every page I just found myself like thinking like oh man like you know here everyone's like orange and blue and then and then and then the next sequence like now we're doing something totally other but like it works but like there's no one way that he's coloring this but you you wouldn't have like a color palette for this book like every scene has its own color palette and each color palette serves a purpose um, i'm really intrigued with his 
work process actually because there seems to be like it feels like a lot of natural media but then i yeah. feel like there must be some digital in here too it's almost like it's it looked like a like a digital brush to me mm. like there was some kind of chalky brush used mm -hmm. but it definitely is one of those comics that walks that really amazing fine line of like it's obviously very tight but it looks very loose, which is so hard to pull off. It's probably one of the most expert level things you can do. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and it just, like, from what I understand of that process, it's just you draw it over and over until you have it perfect, right? And then you can do it loose, but it's actually your third or fourth time doing it. Yeah. But, of course, I don't I don't know. I couldn't get any insight on Alfred's process. Alfred, who are you? Yeah, I, I want to know more about the process because uh, mm -hmm. it's just so eye-catching. Yeah. Um, and the color in this, I agree, was really phenomenal, really emotional. And what was interesting, now that you mention it, like there's all these different palettes used throughout the course of the book. And yet it still feels very cohesive to me. Mm. Like it doesn't feel like, oh, they handed it off to a different colorist for this scene for some reason. Like it, it feels like a slow progression, mm -hmm. just like a, the landscape slowly morphs as you're driving through it. Yeah, I think that was in, like, the summary I read um, was talking about it shifting color palettes mm. from... Yeah, there was a foreword by Jeff Smith. Yeah, that was, was it. Yeah, the Jeff it. Smith was talking about how the colors shift from one palette in France and then they get kind of hotter and, war like, warmer as you go to Italy. And I was, like, looking for that as I was reading. And it's like, yeah, you really just get a sense of traveling across Europe. I mean, yeah. it just felt... You could get that sense of this road trip, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's such a great premise. Like two brothers hop in a Fiat and take their brother, <laughs> take their father's ashes, like from France to Italy. Like, yeah, just like there's your elevator pitch. Like sold. Let's publish this book. Like, it's yeah. great. Um, uh, do we want to dive into that relationship between Fabio and, yeah. and Giovanni? Yeah, it's um, complicated. Oh my gosh! I what? mean. Uh, something that I think felt very maybe like prescient to me reading this is that, I mean, essentially Fabio, who's the older brother, mm -hmm. yeah, Fabio served with the fascists and Mussolini and his father was against fascism and got beaten up and imprisoned and Fabio ran away to France and he's basically been kind of hiding out in shame uh, now that World War II is over and he's on the wrong side of history and he's never really confronted like the fallout of what happened to his father when he backed basically the wrong side and I just feel like we're in a time and a place where like you know uh, it's good to talk about what happens when you find yourself on the wrong side of history. Yeah. And uh, th there's ramifications to that. Yeah. And the, the echoes of the war that you saw throughout this book, I thought were really, really interesting. And uh, there was a really interesting scene with the priest. So mm. they broke down or they got their car stolen at some point in France and they ended up getting taken to uh, the abbey of this priest who ended up being uh, someone else who served in the war and ended up joining the French resistance. And yet, despite mm. the two of them, despite Fabio and this priest being on completely opposite sides, they ended up having this connection over like, oh, you served, you went through this same trauma, and so did I. And like how the priest now can like mend an arm with almost 
no supplies because that's just that's what you did in the war right and it's mm-hmm. there's such a strong sense of place and time that comes through mm-hmm. did the priest know that fabio was on the wrong side though see I don't that's think so that's I, the yeah. thing right so it's this really tense scene i was holding my breath when i was reading this comic which hasn't happened to me in years yeah. um it really made me feel something where the priest is looking and he's like i can see it in your eyes i know you went through it too and fabio is getting more and more tense because the priest is correct, but he, Fabio was on the fascist side. Mm-hmm. And so there's this camaraderie, but it's this, uh, I guess it would be dramatic irony, because the priest doesn't realize. Uh, if I understood the scene correctly, I really feel bad about my lack of knowledge of history, but I think that's what was happening, and it was very tense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think I think that's right. I don't think the... Uh, I don't think Fabio reveals himself. Yeah, you wouldn't uh, want to say that. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like yeah. There's like there is a scene at, later on at some point where I think they go to a bar and some people yeah kind of recognize that Fabio is like serving with the fascists and well, I mean, can... if you're Italian and you did serve, then like I think the only way would be that if you were serving with the fascists, right? Was there an Italian resistance? Okay, and like this is my oh, yeah, history falling down. I'm not sure, but like definitely he kind of gets singled out by somebody as like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, I think you owe us all an apology, basically. <laughs> 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 to put it very, very yeah. mildly. Yeah. But there, I think there, there must have been an Italian resistance because that was Fabio's family, right? Yeah, Which is that's why, true. Like, like they the... were all killed or like yeah. all their friends were killed. And one thing that I thought was really interesting about this comic just in general is... Often when you have these um, odd couple pairs, like the tough boxing brother and sort of the more meek brother, there's sort of that gen- sort of cliche opposite. But that actually wasn't the case because the who sort of appears to be the meeker brother at first is himself a hardened veteran and is actually a lot tougher than Fabio, I think. I can't remember the younger brother's name. Giovanni. Giovanni. Yeah. Sort of, you sort of have these impressions of the characters at the start of the book and then you start to realize Giovanni is a much stronger person in many, many ways. Yeah, but also something that really struck me about Giovanni by the time I got to the end is that he's also someone who ended up making a lot of similar mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, like, I kind of, you know, he ended up abandoning his, you know, the mother of his child and, like, mm. ran away from a situation that became too complicated, right? And so, like, he ended up following in his brother's footsteps in a negative way. Although, mm-hmm. like, he speaks a lot in vague ways. And I, I really love how much this book leaves subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he speaks in vague ways about how F- Fabio, when he he was such a strong personality, and you kind of get that right away of, like, Fabio's a very dynamic person, for better or worse. Uh, but he kind of left a vacuum in his community that Giovanni felt compelled to try and fill uh, one way or another. <laughs> the formal term is a jerk vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of true, though, when somebody yeah. might be awful, but they're such a big personality, you almost, when they're gone, it's like, oh, no, yeah. it's not the same. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> who jerk who are we going to roll our eyes at now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stares at Jeff. No, I'm just kidding. It's like, oh, you know, it's it's so much calmer, but where's the drama? Yeah. Better yeah. <laughs> yeah. go make some. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many, like, I was just flipping through and I like, there's like the whole scene when Giovanni talks to, I think, is it? It's Maria, if I now, remember. Now, was it his wife or so, Fabio's 
it was originally so my understanding of this and again like it's a yeah. complicated narrative yeah but so this, originally I'm glad I'm one that was confused <laughs> yeah originally mario and fabio were together right and then fabio left town and so mario was like left behind and kind of heartbroken and then as giovanni grew up a little bit he ended up getting together with maria mm, that makes and sense fathering a child with her right i don't know if they were ever properly that, married that makes sense but yeah, I just like when he goes to talk to her, she's hanging these sheets. And then as they're talking, like the sheets become more and more dominant to a point where like it just basically fades away into almost white. And like, I don't know, it's just very cinematic, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you have basically like a transition where you, you're fading into your next scene and it's just like these white sheets that become more and more dominant until you just have like a whiteout that then takes you into the next part of your story. Like, yeah. Um, like Giovanni is being like deliberately erased. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, just like the way it's like, it's almost, it was like, I would say like the artistry is at a level where it, like, it was almost discouraging at points. Like <laughs> as someone who creates comics, just being like, I could never well, this wield is the medium like this. We need more <laughs> discouragingly, <laughs> discouragingly good comics. Yeah. <laughs> Simple review. Although it did, it did win the Favdor at Donglan. So like, yeah. You know, like, there's a level to aspire to there. Yes, yeah, But I will yeah. say, like, we need more BD. We yes. need more BD okay. out oh, here yeah. to study. I have two very stupid questions. <laughs> the first one is, what is BD? Oh, sorry. That's a great question for our listeners, though, as I fall into it by accident. Uh, BD stands for bande dessinée, which is comic strip in French. Oh, great. So the, the Franco-Belgian, I think they call it the Franco-Belgian version of comics, where you have large pages and... Uh, Primarily, they start in French, written by French authors. They're called BD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I, so it's kind of like the difference between uh, BD comics and manga. Yeah. Mm. You you brought this term into the trade waiters, and I've really enjoyed it. Okay. I still occasionally still say bon dessinée, but yeah. like BD is a nice short way to say it. Yeah. Um, though now, where well, this is like a side, side, sort of like a tangent, but like... I've recently heard discussions about whether the term manga should or should not be used. Interesting. Because manga just means Japanese comics, but like it's now a style that is not done by Japanese artists per se, and the style that it's associated with precludes things that are being made in Japan like that don't fit that category that like a comic any comic made in japan is a manga but we have a certain stylistic vision in our heads and so i've heard a lot of people recently suggesting that we shouldn't say manga we should just say comics from japan Interesting. and i'm curious if maybe then by that argument you could also then say that instead of saying bd we should say comics from europe or franco franco-belgian comics yeah it's a really good question i think it's worth discussing to me like the style aspect almost makes it more important because Mm. like manga if you want to like continue with the argument that it's like it's okay to call like the general style of manga or comics from japan as manga they do have their own genre tropes as you mentioned Mm -hmm. there are like things that you expect out of them Mm -hmm. but then where we get into this complicated territory is that if an american author decides to make a comic in the manga style 
is it a manga? Is it a comic book? Mm-hmm. And then, like, to further muddy the waters, like, if a Japanese artist decides to make a large page format album, full color, mm-hmm. hardbound, kind of like an European right. comic, right. is that manga? Is that a Japanese comic? Is that bande dessinée? Yeah. Like... <laughs> right, right. And this is, yeah. So and, I... you, and American artists will make... Uh, comics in the European style as well. Like, uh, Justin Kodak makes comics in that style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, like, uh, our friend uh, Steve LeCouillard also right. makes comics in that right. style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I don't know. I guess it's just uh, I've recently heard some people suggesting that, like, we need to, like, tear those walls down and just, like, comics is comics. Uh, <laughs> which I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'm, like, sold on this. But, like, it was an interesting conversation that I think maybe, like, you know, 10 years ago, we would just take it for granted that, like, manga is manga and BD is BD. And it's now interesting that we're at a point where, like, people are now saying, like, haven't we cross-pollinated enough? Like, hmm. can we just, like, can all comics just be comics now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm open to the discussion, I guess. But <laughs> I would contribute that there is still value in the word manga as a descriptor. Hmm. Um, because, as I mentioned, like, it carries with it some tropes and format expectations and ways of communicating that Mm -hmm. are particular to it as a genre. If it's the right word to describe that genre, maybe Mm -hmm. that's something we can discuss. Right. Fair enough. Anyways, this is probably for a whole other podcast. Like, what is a webtoon (laughs) now? Like, webtoon versus webcomic. Are Bitmojis comics? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I don't want to see the comment thread on this uh, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I had a a second dumb question. Yes, please. There's no such thing, Jess. Well, you'll you'll see. Um, <laughs> so I kind of got the impression because Fabio and his girlfriend were together, and I think there's a scene of them sleeping together. His girlfriend in France or Maria? Maria. Yeah. Right, when they're quite young. Yeah. Like, I don't know, 18 um, or whatever. And I got the impression that Giovanni's kid wasn't his kid. Interesting. That um, Fabio got her pregnant and then Giovanni got with her. Do you know? But... It's not actually his child. Like, it's not clear, but I definitely think, uh, I think when I first read it, I think I saw that idea that Giovanni is the one who stuck around and, like, raised the child or, like, helped Maria out to a certain extent. But then at a certain point, he also then took off on her and now she's sort of by herself with her kid. Whether or not it's (laughs) Giovanni's kid, I'm not sure. I don't think it's Fabio's because of the way the timing works out. So the first time Fabio left, um, he went to join the war. And then there's a scene where he comes back and his little brother's like, hey, uh, welcome back. And he's like, ah, how's it been? You know, you've grown so much. He's like, yeah, it's been seven years. And he's like, oh, I see. And then like they he departs again, like shortly after that, basically like hours after that. And then it was, I think, 10 years when he re-arrives, they reconnect in France. So he's been in France for 10 years, and the daughter is three. So I think for that reason, I don't believe it's Fabio's, mm-hmm. but uh, it's definitely possible that it's not Giovanni's. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. And the adopted sister. The I adopted mean, sister is another interesting mm-hmm. one. Because so, she's, what, 18? See, I, I was guess. just about to... I was like, and then there's, because like, I was flipping through this, I'm like, right. And then at the end, there's this other pregnant woman. Yeah. Who actually has, like, a very dramatic 
scene where like she's talking to Fabio and then is like, "Hey guys, sorry to interrupt, but I my water just broke and I'm yeah, my water have to broke. Go. My water broke an hour ago. Oh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I waited, well, that's right. My water broke an hour ago, and I've just been waiting so I could talk to you for a few minutes. But I definitely have to go have a baby right now. Yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> most badass character yeah. in the book is Agreed. actually yeah. yeah Agreed. Like, <laughs> that's like a total mic drop uh, the conversation. Just like, well, my water broke an hour ago, and I just wanted to wait long enough to talk to you, but I got to go now. My time is precious. Oh, have you had fun, boys, with your little drama? Like, stuff's gonna happen now. She was, like, definitely a late favorite. I loved her. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, in terms of timing, so, like, she was two when Fabio originally left. So Fabio never met her, and then, yeah, I guess 20s? Hmm? I don't know. Mm -hmm. How does time math work? This this comic needs a timeline. (laughs) Or it doesn't. Or it's, 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 it's okay. But yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of like the badass women in this book, actually counter to the badass women in this book. I, well, the first time I read this, it really, really struck me that this is an interesting counterpoint to the book we read in the Trade Waiters a while ago. Today is the last day of the rest of your life by Uli Lutz. Ah, right. So Uli Lutz, uh, I don't believe you read this book with us, Jess. I actually um, was going to recommend it. Oh. And then I realized you recorded it a while back. But I have a copy, and I think I got halfway through. Yeah. It's intense. It's really good. Yeah, just life stuff happened. But um, I w- it was so good. I-, I was at the halfway point, and I was like, we should review this. Yeah. But then you already did. Yeah, so good. So I can talk about it, and I won't be leaving you out of the discussion. But <laughs> I felt that that book was a really interesting and raw book about the life of like mature womanhood, right? Mm. What it's like to move through the world as a woman and the complicated things that bring and takes place in Italy. Mm. And this is another book that focuses on Italian, but I think it's a really interesting portrait of masculinity. Mm. And like, there's a lot about shame of like, I chose the wrong side and now I have to literally leave. And this complicated relationship between brothers, this complicated relationship between father and son, you know, mm-hmm. like not taking accountability for the the children that you fathered, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and other things like just communicating through fights and awkward stares. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting exploration of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. There are not a lot of books that really focus on that aspect so directly that I personally have read. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it's true. Actually, that's that's something I think was really compelling about this story is like Fabio is the prototypical. I mean, at the exterior, he's this prototypical Italian, like sleazy, macho guy. He, like he boxes and he sleeps around with women and he drinks wine and he steals oranges. And like, <laughs> you know, he's just like, you know, he's he just does what he feels like and he's like super tough and he tells right? it like it is tells it's it like your it is fault yeah if you get offended yeah <laughs> but then but yeah but then he's like he's actually deep down he's like very very fragile and damaged and he's got a lot of tra- like unprocessed trauma from the war he's got a lot of unprocessed issues from like his father and his brother and like all the garbage that he pulls all the jerk things that he pulls off like getting into random fights with people he doesn't even know in bars is just because he's not processing all these other things that are going on inside of him. And so, like, you know, we're used to, oh, he's this tough guy, goes to the bar, gets in fights. But it's, like, it's interesting to kind of really look at, like, how all of that is rooted in all this insecurity. And, like, he's actually this, like, really damaged, fragile 
person on the inside and he's just putting up this front and so it's sort of like the front is the thing that we we always see it's that stereotype that we all kind of like oh i recognize that but it's like i like that yeah kind of like digs into the inside of that and it's like what's really going on with this guy why is he really acting like this you know so i think that was really good yeah Um, and for giovanni as well someone who grew up and fabio was really the model of manhood there's a really interesting scene where they discussed the day when Fabio decided to join the fascists and told his dad and had like a huge fight and ended up crying in the chicken coop because of a fight he had with his father. And Giovanni walked in on him and thought like, oh, that's weird. What a weird <laughs> place to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also very telling of uh, Giovanni and Fabio and their characters that like, I mean, ultimately the big reveal in this book is that dad's not dead that the urn was just an empty urn and that was just a a ploy to get Fabio to come back to Italy to actually be beside his father on his deathbed before he passes. And it's like, if he, if Fabio thought his father was alive, there's no way he would have gone back to Italy. Yeah. Um, I think it's very telling that like Giovanni had to like trick him into coming back with this like lie oh well dad's dead we got to get his ashes returned and it's like oh no he's not actually dead yeah i mean yeah. I, I love the reveal on that because like the urn gets like what was it i think did it's the like get the, kicked over or well they had, they had that or? car accident that's right they had a car accident they had the and car then, accident in the rain or something uh, oh the, then, dog. It's yeah, a dog yeah, the, the dog yeah the dog made them crash and then like fabio's like well the urn's empty it's just like yeah there never was anything in there yeah <laughs> Yeah, they're, like, lying on the ground in the rain. Somewhat (laughs) injured, I think. Oh, yeah. And he's, like, lying on his back. He's like, the urn's empty. But, you know, it's interesting that uh, you were talking about masculinity because I think in a lot of ways Fabio, um, in a lot of really important ways, is is very weak. And he appears masculine, but he, he couldn't face his dad. So I think that was kind of... He wasn't strong enough to face his dad. That's why this whole ploy was necessary. And it's interesting, too, because I, I feel like, and like, you know, not a historian, but I feel like masculinity, it's always different in other cultures. But to me, in a lot of cases, violence is a weaker choice because violence is like a loss of control. Um, whereas in some cultures, I think maybe in some ways, stoicism might be a good example. Having control is better, like getting into bar fights because someone insulted you, losing your cool, just thrashing out like that is very weak. So, I, I, yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, the reveal that mm-hmm. the dad was alive. You kind of feel it coming. Yeah. And it, it sets us up for, like, an amazing scene at the end where we get to bring back that memory element. And we see Fabio actually, like, devolve mm-hmm. into the child memory version of himself as he meekly approaches the door and tries yeah. to face his father. Yeah, the other thing I loved about that scene was just, like, the way the speech balloons are just scattered everywhere. And internally to the speech balloons, some of them are unreadable. Like, the words are smashing into each other. Like, the intent here is not to read every speech balloon. It's to just, like, get that sense of all the thoughts flying around in his head. that He doesn't even know where to start with talking to his father. And I think it's very smart that it fades to white when he finally goes into the room. Because... You'll never write that scene. Yeah. You'll and it, never it write that scene effectively. It wasn't really <laughs> what it's about. You yeah. know, like it, like if they had written that scene to me, it would have felt like the cliche of always ending a 
a feel-good movie with a wedding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or yeah. like, oh, it they had a wedding and they lived happily ever after, right? It's like it doesn't need to be that. Hey. Oh, the Jonathan Dalton's just broke in the room here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just need to. I thought you were dead. We were carrying your ashes. <laughs> oh no! Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm gonna let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was not dead. Uh, it was all a ruse. <laughs> this is all just a, a ploy to get everyone to come talk to me. <laughs> um, I just want to come in and at the last minute and say I hated this book. It was terrible. No. Oh, no. Uh, I really enjoyed this book. Uh, I was a little... Well, I wasn't worried I wouldn't like it at the beginning, but I was worried, oh, this is going to end badly because this kind of story always ends badly, which is fine. You know, it's still like a very well-made comic, has great art. I love the coloring. But then the end was happy, and I was like, that was a complete surprise. I was not expecting that. <laughs> what a twist. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? The story's going to have happy endings. Yay. <laughs> All right. So do we want to thank you for joining us, Jonathan Dalton, the 11th hour. Uh, and uh, do we want to wrap it up? So would you recommend? Yes. Uh, I would 100% recommend this book. In fact, again, we... I would say now I'm really excited to know that possibly more works by Alfred will be on Comixology. I'm going to have to start cruising through looking for more uh, BD when I go through my Comixology storefront because I'm clearly not getting all the good recommendations. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Uh, yeah. I've been combing through it. So, like, I'll let you know if I catch anything else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Strong, strong recommend. Um, Some of our picks... I would sort of recommend them to specific people, like kids, etc. But this one... Uh, <laughs> maybe not kids. kids <laughs> maybe not kids in this case. But I think this... And almost anyone could enjoy this. It's um, it's fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, yeah, like, I recommend this, too. It was really good. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, my only reservation is that I don't think there is a print version in English. I looked for one, but... Earlier in this podcast... Uh, we were saying that we didn't think there was a print version, and I said, we need Jonathan Dalton here to confirm that. <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> Only available in English on Comixology. Yeah, which is why we strongly encourage everyone to go out and buy it, so that Delcor knows there is a market here for BD. Good um, point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I will wrap it up. I also I recommended this to the trade waiters, and I would agree that it is one of my rare blanket recommends. Like, I think anyone can enjoy this book. I think it's a amazing piece of fiction that would resonate with a wide swath of people. So then uh, let's wrap this up with a, rain, uh, a round of shout-outs, mainstream shout-outs. Who wants to? Uh, I'll get started. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and uh, I'm just going to shout-out The Witching Hours, which is a book that I designed, <laughs> but uh, I did not create any content inside of. But I've I've been uh, selling a lot of copies of these to people, and uh, I don't know. I I I know it's not always kosher to like recommend your own book that you've been publishing, but I just this book has uh, I think really hit a hit a spot with people, and I'm just been really happy at how well received it's been. And it's like Cloudscape's first big successful anthology, kind of post. Uh, like we're in, in our new new publishing model, so yeah. I'm just gonna shout that out. Um, and what is it? It's called. It's called the Witching Hours. The Witching Hours yeah. available on the Cloudscape website. Yeah, and if you want to find my stuff, you can find it at jeffreyellis.ca, and I've got some new comics you can download on Gumroad there. I'm the last minute entry, Jonathan Dalton. Uh, you can find my work at 
phobos-comic.com and Jeff stole my pick. <laughs> I was also going to shout out the witching hours. My only involvement in the production of the book was building the, the Kickstarter. Uh, so I didn't actually... I don't know, maybe this, is, maybe this isn't kosher either. I didn't actually read it all the way through until after I had it physically in my hands. But it's really good. I'm really happy we got a chance to make, all, make this book and publish all those stories. Yeah. That's it. Yay, I'm Jess, and you can find my work at jesspollard.squarespace.com. Or I, in the witching hours. Or in the witching hours. That's also my pick. I, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I got a story in there. It's the last one. If you read it uh, or have read it, I hope you enjoy. Um, shoutouts can be shows too, right? Mm-hmm. We've oh. shout out. Everything we shouted, yeah. out, I think we shouted yeah. out like a review of a blender one <laughs> or a juicer. That was it. A juicero. <laughs> the yeah. juicero. Yeah. Um, I would really like to recommend uh, the new Chernobyl. Oh um, yes. I don't know if it'd be called a Whoa. documentary, like a historical a fiction docu-series? docu-series. No, I don't think it is technically. It's a drama. Historical docu drama. Historical drama. It's fantastic and terrifying. Yeah, can vouch for yeah. uh, Chernobyl. Uh, so I'm Jam. My shout out, ooh, I'm going to do, so I backed the witching hours and I received <laughs> my PDF. So can confirm great service on Cloudscape branded Kickstarters. <laughs> Haven't read it yet, but looking forward to it. Uh, I'd like to shout out Detective Pikachu because <laughs> I was really sad and I went to see a matinee by myself and it was amazing. Uh, but if you'll recall, OG Trade Waiters listeners will know. Uh, we shouted out a, a zine called Letters to an Absent Father by Mario Domo. And I'm yeah. like, I was shocked not only that this movie got produced, not only that it didn't suck, but that it managed to strike on like some of these foundational themes of oh, wow. like absent fathers. And I was like, whoa, maybe that's oh. a spoiler for Detective Pikachu. But uh, I was blown away. And so... Shout out to Letters to an Absent Father by Mary Domo, I guess. <laughs> I'm uh, that to the list just because. Yeah. Uh, things are bubbling up. I'm starting to come back up for air. Uh, I recently finished a uh, convention-exclusive book called Wander with my co-collaborator, Sve R. Monster. We made it exclusively for Emerald City Comic Con, but we have a few copies left over, and we're gearing up for selling the rest of them and there aren't many if that's something that interests you i would recommend uh signing up for my patreon patreon patreon.com slash jam that's your best bet no promises on anything beyond that but stay tuned and thanks for listening what's our next book gonna be get ready to get wasted because we're reading laid waste by julia frorer frorer it rhymes with despair, and it says that in her bio. You'll hear all about it next time. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks so much to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and to Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com, as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.